The Athletic. Yes, we're back. Welcome to the second pre-season edition of Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated, of course, to Manchester United. And in a week where we found out that Bruno Fernandes was still capable of the spectacular, where we discovered that actually transfer sagas could still happen after deals have been agreed and announced. And also where we found out you can serve chips with fries. What a week it's been. Go on, Luke Shaw. Joining us then to look ahead to what's a pretty special start to the new Premier League season for Manchester United at home to Leeds United on Saturday are the athletic pair for Manchester United, Carl Anker and Laurie Whitwell. Gents, welcome. How you doing, Ian? You okay? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And of course, this week as well, we've also got with us the athletic contributor and editor of United We Stand, Andy Mitten. Hi, Andy. Hi, Ian. Hi, everybody. Are we excited then, boys? It's just around the corner now, isn't it? Manchester United against Leeds United. Loads of fans inside Old Trafford. Loads of chants already prepped, I'm sure, that have been saved up for Leeds' first year in the Premier League as well. Carl, how are you feeling? I'm getting there. Yeah, it's quite fun. It's uh, I'll be covering the game this weekend. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to finally having a, a packed or close to packed Old Trafford while covering it. And uh, I'm expecting a lot of goals. And a lot of uh, offside calls because everyone's still just a little bit knackered. I'm imagining you're sort of more excited than most of us, considering you've not been able to leave the house this week. <laughs> yes, uh, I unfortunately got pinged just before the athletics uh, summer party, so I've only just been walking about. You can, Im- I thought it was really funny that the day Lionel Messi declares he's going to leave Barcelona, some of the best football journalists in the world were all with their phones off. <laughs> Some of the best football journalists not only had the phones off, did they, Andy? I, I believe you spotted something else at that party. Yeah, I, I saw Laurie, who's a very good journalist, dancing to the Spice Girls. Oh, He was really, really excited about the season that's coming and he was just dancing away in abandon. And it was just a great sight to see him smiling away. It's just getting to him like fans coming back, United against Leeds at Old Trafford. And we all know that he loves the Spice Girls. So <laughs> why not have a dance? Yeah, spice up your life, eh, Laurie? You've got to limber up for the season, Ian. You know, you can't be going in half-baked. You've got to stretch those hamstrings, make sure all the muscles are working. It's been a while, so, you know, uh, when the Athletic throw a party in a nice, stately home, uh, you know, you've got to got to take up uh, the opportunity to dance to a bit of music, eh? So are you ready for the season now, then, mate? I'm ready, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm psyched. Um, <laughs> I have to do a quick hat tip. You know, when Carl was saying about the journalists, though, that were, you know, had the phones off or perhaps weren't totally on the ball, Adam Crafton snuck off, unbeknownst to me, whilst I'm in the middle of, you know, whatever Mel C singing, he's going off making calls on, on Messi to PSG and uh, he absolutely nailed that one. So credit to him. Yeah, some people can multitask after all, can't they, to be fair? <laughs> Yeah, I've actually been doing a bit of work, lads. I mean, I don't know if the rest of you have. I've been reading your articles, of course, on The Athletic, but I was at the Media Access Day at United yesterday, which if no one knows about it, basically it's the day where all the players in the squad come out in the new shirt, they pose for pictures, for, for Getty Images, for releasing the new shirts. Obviously, the third shirt has dropped now from Manchester United as well. They have to drop now. They can't be released or anything like that. That is the technical term, I believe. Hashtag dropped. Um, so they were doing that. They were also posing um, for the team graphics that Sky do, that BT do, that Amazon do now as well. And I was working there for Premier League Productions as well. So it was my role to try and get some of the players to do pieces to camera, some of which involved asking Dan James to speak Malaysian. And I can confirm Dan James can speak Malaysian. Ugh, Amazing. What a talent. Yeah. So it's not just running down the right wing up and down. He can now communicate with Malaysia. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. But there was some interesting social media as well, Laurie, that you got your eye on from yesterday, I believe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Instagram is always the place to go with with stuff like this. You know, players nowadays, you know, the younger ones certainly uh, like to keep us updated. And Mason Greenwood doing a video of a Shola Shora T-Rays, I think, a guest piece to Sky, you know, when they've got to do the raw to camera, um, you know, with a couple of laughy cry emojis. So obviously he was enjoying uh, his, his sort of younger academy graduate um, going through his first steps of, of first team football. But I thought him, you know, Shola Shora T-Rays doing that was kind of interesting because, you know, presumably they're only going to do 
that kind of first team stuff um, if there's a chance of them, you know, perhaps being around the first team picture um, this season. So obviously loans have been discussed, but you get the impression that he's a kind of player that United would like to keep in house and, and kind of develop within the worlds of Carrington rather than sort of send out at this stage. But um, I mean, Andy, you did a piece and the last season, didn't you, on him? Um, so obviously really promising talent, youngest uh, United, youngest European player for United. Um, that is right, isn't it? Not since Norman, Norman Whiteside. I'm always conscious of the Norman Whiteside factor in these equations, but... Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think that um, Norman was one of the people who, who congratulated him. He's got a good background story. People were saying... I read stuff about him saying he was born in Nigeria and it's just not true. He was born in Newcastle upon time. So I spoke to lots of people close to him. He's still incredibly young, very talented, very ambitious, very driven, very driven family. And you know, he's played some first team minutes and he wants a lot more. He won the award last year. How good is he? I don't know. I mean, his statistics have been incredible right throughout uh, Ollie I'm told really likes him and he, he could become a, a breakthrough star he's still very very young and I think when you look at United's attack he's not a player who any fan would be putting in their starting 11 but that's not to mean that they can't get minutes and there's going to be a lot of opportunities and I think with 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 Scholar is he's fearless he, I don't think he'd be bothered if he came on in another win at PSG away, I think he'd just be like, I can do this. And great. I think it's brilliant when you've got exciting young players and you know, he's made a decent impression. That's why he's winning the awards. So don't know what the solution is, whether he, he goes on loan. But I, as you said, I think I'm more inclined to see how many minutes he gets this season because he's so young. He doesn't really need to be going to, to Watford. Maybe that happens in, in a year or two. And Ollie has shown with other players, if, if they're good enough, they're, they're old enough. I can confirm as well that he was pretty good at doing the piece to camera shoulder, which for the young players, it's usually a bit of a challenge, but he was pretty good even at that. Um, when he broke through last year, actually, um, one of our producers uh, at the Premier League is a massive Newcastle fan. And he was desperate to know if a lad born in Newcastle in 2004 called Shola was named after the obvious. <laughs> and I'm disappointed to report He's not named after Shola Amiobi, but never mind. Right. We're going to talk more then about the Leeds United game this weekend. There's some transfer nonsense as always to get through. But Carl and Laurie, this isn't your first podcast of the week, of course. You also guested on Tuesday on the Athletics Football Podcast. Now, for anyone who's not aware, that's the artist formerly known as Ornstein and Chapman. And your piece about the secrets of Solskjaer's reign was under the spotlight, wasn't it? Laurie, tell us about it. Yeah, I hope you don't mind me um, sort of, you know, playing away a little bit with another podcast, but um, they were very nice to me. Um, early for moonlighting, mate, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, you've got to spread the wealth, you know. Uh, International breaking all that. <laughs> exactly. National team duties. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was a piece. I mean, listen, in all honesty, it was a piece that was kind of prepared ahead of the Europa League final um, with the idea that hopefully it would kind of be a bit of a celebration. Um, obviously, it didn't work out. And as we've seen, Villarreal can be beaten on penalties uh, in a European final. They can miss them as well. They can I miss them. Aware of this. See, there we go. You know, 11-10 against us and they missed the how many? Two, two penalties against Chelsea. Um, so listen, you know, that, that is that. But, um, but no, it was quite an enjoyable piece to research. It's one of those where, you know, you kind of um, speak to people throughout the whole season, you know, you kind of hear little nuggets and you think, okay, that might be interesting at some point in the right sort of context and the right format. Um, and hopefully it, it gave a bit more of an insight into the kind of manager he is, because I think, I think I'm, you know, on the same page as, as you guys where, um, you know, clearly there's, there's doubts that are always going to be there until he wins something, until United are restored to the place where everyone thinks they should be. Um, you know, that Europa League final was a disappointment because there were certain issues there where you think as a manager he could have influenced the game. Um, but in general, the way that he approaches Manchester United is with a kind of, you know, holistic style. Um, I, I sort of vomited a little bit in my mouth when I said that. But, you know, the fact that he cares about the whole club rather than just himself, rather than just about the here and now, he's, he's, he's trying to put things in place that, gets the culture into a, a, a positive mindset and has players there that want to play for the club that have room to grow. Um, and so there was a few little details in there that hopefully showed a little bit of that. 
Um, and it seemed like it, it went down fairly well with, with people. Um, the other sort of subscribers seemed um, like quite interested by it. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I felt that there was also a couple of bits where I'd sort of found out that, okay, actually is, you know, we've discussed before, haven't we, Andy, about the sharp tongue that he does have, um, you know, the way he can put Wayne Rooney down uh, when he's sort of offering his services to United as, as a player, um, the way that he can have a sort of a bit of a barb at a player about his, his salary demands, you know, little, little moments like that that I think just sort of show that actually he's not some kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky um, character at the front of, of the club. He, he understands what football's about. He's a realist. He does, you know, he, he came through as a player in a very difficult dressing room, hard uh, dressing room. So he knows what it is to, to win at United. And, and I, I do firmly believe that he's got the, the best intention of the club at heart. And that kind of just came through with the more and more people I spoke to. One bit you mentioned, Laurie, was uh, the Rome when he absolutely rollicked the players. And that that is true. He was so disappointed with the performance to the United players. Even though they were through to the Europa League final, the really sloppy performance, Roman nearly came back into the game. And I, I was told that night, I mean, I didn't hear it. I'd like to say I heard it, but I didn't. But I was told that night that is the biggest rollicking he's given um, to the players. And I thought, well, good. That's what you want. Don't want all sweetness and nice, and he can definitely um, have a sharp tongue, as you said, when when he's needed, and he needs to because it's his job at stake if he's not winning anything next year, or if there's not a continual improvement, which means trophies. Carl, what was the most interesting detail for you when you think about Solskjaer the player and how he's constantly brought the old-fashioned methods to the modern day? That's what stuck with me. Uh, so if you bring bring it back a bit forward now to to preseason. Solskjaer has uh, referred to Anthony Alanga as having the bravery of a Manchester United player, which really sticks with me in terms of Solskjaer, you know, came through a, you know, absolute crucible of a dressing room. And if you weren't, if you didn't have the minerals to take the most out of whatever 20 minutes you had to put going, then that was that. So what you can see it now in the order of when Solskjaer compliments his players in press conferences and whatnot. So he says Alanga is the braver of a United player. He often, when he... Con- um, compliments Greenwood will first talk about his finishing ability but then we'll talk about how Greenwood needs to be able to break his nose and saying Greenwood he said Greenwood's too pretty right now Uh, and it's that sort of playfully intense way he compliments particularly his strikers and Laurie was really really good explaining that sort of thing about how Solskjaer very charming can be one of the lads when needed but there is an edge to him and it comes back from the United he played under yeah, you can see that in the way he speaks and even the fact that he constantly refers to little anecdotes from his career as well, which I know journalists have enjoyed, including in their articles over the last few years. It certainly made our jobs easy at, at certain points when he has referred back to things. But if you want to know more then about the secrets of Solskjaer, you can check out the article and also, of course, the podcast from earlier on in the week as well. So if you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, you'll get a 33% discount. That's a third off the regular price. Put down that calculator. You'll get the same great analysis and in-depth features from the very best the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all their podcasts, including, of course, this one. So get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod before the 15th of August for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General. Give you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. 
and that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. Last December, I was in Wellies on the outskirts of Leeds at the Battle of Toton, which still is the bloodiest battle in the history of England. And of course, this is all about the War of the Roses between the House of Lancaster and the House of York, which gives you an idea that Manchester United fans and Leeds United fans don't like each other, not just because of football, but also because of the history and the geography of the two places as well. This is a hatred that's lasted literally hundreds of years. And of course... With no fans at the matches last season in the Premier League, it's a rivalry that's been on delay for about 16 or 17 years in the Premier League as a result. So, Andy Mitten, you know all about this. What's it going to be like with fans inside Old Trafford once again for Manchester United against Leeds United? 70,000 with 3,000 away fans. I'm so excited by that prospect. Manchester United and Leeds is a huge rivalry. When we started United, we stand... People would argue among themselves about which rival team they dislike most. And it was Leeds City or Liverpool. It was those three. And the Leeds rivalry has ebbed and flowed because they've spent so much time outside the top division. But my first visit to Ellen Road, it was a vicious, frightening place to go to. It really was. And it was not for the faint-hearted at all. And I still think you might get a little bit of that. Even, even this year, Manchester United are not popular there because of the rivalry, uh, for the reasons that you touched on, that I think Manchester's done better than Leeds as a, as a, as a city. The football teams have been far more uh, effective. Leeds have lost a lot of players to Manchester United. They're only 40 minutes apart. It's not, not far at all. So I like Bielsa. I've always liked Bielsa. I mean, he's done brilliantly to, to get them back in the top division. Thought the game last year was really entertaining. I think he's brave. I think he's he's bold. And I, I think the, the return game at Allen Road was actually surprisingly disappointing. But can't wait for it. Absolutely cannot wait. Saw a little bit of Leeds pre-season um, through another job that I was doing. And I think they've got, got issues. I think every club has got issues at the moment. But yeah, the songs, I'm sure we'll hear some new ones. Some of them are not fit to be um, repeated here on a, on a family-friendly podcast, but it is a vicious rivalry, and I've really missed fans being back here. I stood outside the ground before the Everton game at the weekend and stood there for two hours in the rain, and I just loved it. More than the game itself, just seeing people you've not seen for ages, hearing the stories, good and bad. You know, it was like so-and-so's passed away. I've had COVID. Um, you know, I've had a bad time of things, but I just sense there's a real sense of community. Manchester United might be this huge football club, but among the match-going fans, there is still a very strong community. As there are in supporters clubs around the world, it brings people together in person, and we're finally able to do that, and that's really important. And to start the game, Leeds at home, I always used to say I'd rather be playing Leeds than a Bournemouth, sorry, Bournemouth, and I would. It, 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 it really excites me. So... Bring it on. I just hope United start the season better than in previous seasons because we've been terrible. I like how he always says, sorry, Bournemouth, when he tells this story. <laughs> what happened in Bournemouth Beach, dude? <laughs> I, th- I did actually go to Dean Court a few times in the 90s and respect to their 4,500 hardcore fans. And uh, I've got nothing against the place. It's nice. I don't think it's it was quite the romantic rise that some people said with their billionaire owner, but you know, it was a successful model for their, their football club. But yeah, I'd rather see a game against Leeds United than Bournemouth. I just would. Two big northern cities, a history of a long, long rivalry and an enmity, which I think adds to football. And that, that that's how it's been for me. And, and I'm glad Leeds are back. I know some United fans will say, I want them out of business. I don't want them ever to come back. But Manchester United, Leeds United, brilliant. The football side's interesting, Carl, as well, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Bielsa's Leeds are fascinating in how they play so they play sort of modified man marking system that 
you're not really supposed to see above under 14, under 15 level. Um, so Solskjaer got the 6-2 absolutely right. If you play against a team that wants the man mark, you want to have loads of pace and you want to have guys that can dribble. So you, you dribble past your man marker, spray the ball really quickly, you get some goals. Hence Scott McTominay scoring two great goals and everyone going, oh, wait, you're box to box, not a six. So that was fun. What went wrong in the nil-nil was be able to put the handbrake on and essentially we'll man mark to a little bit, but the moment it gets to this region, we're going to stop. And also Wan-Bissaka is not a threat, so we'll just leave him and see what they can do. And unfortunately, United couldn't really do anything. Paul Pogba was only on the bench because he was fasting because of Ramadan, so he could only really play about half an hour. And that's what happened there. I shouldn't be so complimentary of Leeds United because of the rivalry. I'm not sure if this counts as a derby or not, but let me know if so. But Bielsa's a genuinely inventive coach. And the fun thing is Solskjaer's really inventive when it comes to these big games. I know there's criticism about his tactical nuance and nous, but when it's a big game, Solskjaer very clearly spends that extra bit of the time at the whiteboard and goes, right, let me not just figure out all the players I'm going to face. Let me figure out what the manager is like as well, what the manager's going to do as well. So we know Leeds like to run. We know this is basically a game that is probably a bit too early in the match fitness for a lot of players. So I, I expect two or three of United's best players or maybe some of their signings might not even make the bench. So uh, it will be halfway between a Community Shield game and a proper Premier League game. So I think something unique will happen and I expect a lot of goals. Are United ready for this now, Carl? I know you've written about it this week because the, the preparation at the start of last season obviously was very, very tricky with the, the late finish. Uh, for United obviously being in the, the Europa League uh, over in Portugal and then coming back and it just didn't seem to get going for weeks, did it, at the start of last season? Do you get the sense that they're a lot more, lot more ready for this now, this time around? So I asked Oli this after victory over Everton and I said, could you compare this preseason to the last? And he said, you know, a lot better. We've learned our lessons from last preseason. He said one thing that was really important was to make sure every player got a three-week break. And if you look roughly at the timeline of when players are coming back, you can see which one Solskjaer was willing to go. You know what? I don't mind you coming back a bit later. So even though it's slightly concerning, we don't know where exactly in the world Edison Cavani is. I can I can see why Solskjaer would give Cavani an extended break because Cavani, we know, ultra-professional, takes his fitness very, very seriously, always has done, and is very, very unlikely to turn up even half a kilo overweight. You can see why he would have given Sancho an extended break as well and let him have a tune-up so Sancho only arrived on, on the Monday on whatnot because Sancho, again, a bit of a nerd when it, comes to, when it comes to gym work. He's a bit of a gym rat as well. So I can see why he's done that sort of thing. Uh, if you look at the, the starting lineup against Everton, it was basically one of the, the starting lineups that Solskjaer used for the majority of last season. I'd say for maybe Martial up front and Dan James on the left. Uh, you can see you know, McFred will probably come in and uh, ahead of Donny van der Beek and Matic. And that should be enough to win a game. So, yeah, Solskjaer's, there's a method in that madness and constant nostalgic talk in press conferences. I definitely trust him to get a result from these first two games. You mentioned Edison Cavani there. Obviously, it's still in Uruguay. I think we understand. Um, Laurie, this is sort of one of the secrets that you wrote about with Solskjaer in terms of his man management and, and conviction and things like that. Is this the right thing to do? I don't see a problem with it because it's clearly something that had been planned. Um, and I think there's always this sort of debate. If Without an answer, people will start jumping to conclusions and will sort of think, is that really right? You know, has Solskjaer you know, lost control of, of this situation? Um, when we asked the question this week, we were told that, Actually, it was sort of part of his negotiation. You know, Solskjaer appealed to Cavani emotionally um, in terms of wanting him to stay for an extra season um, based on, you know, scoring in front of the Stretford end, a packed Stretford end, and, and he sort of got a little taste of that with the Fulham game. Um, but also, I think it was, listen, we understand you as a person, and he's done this with Luke Shaw, for example. He's understood, understood him as a whole, you know, complete individual. We'll, we're going to let you have an extra bit of time back in Uruguay with family members, some of whom he hasn't seen for a couple of years because of COVID. Um, and that will hopefully return a guy happy in mind and therefore happy on the pitch. Um, and I think if he hadn't 
you know, if he hadn't agreed to that in those negotiations you know, for an extra year, you know, would he have signed? We don't know. You know, obviously only those two guys know that fully. Um, but I don't I don't mind that. Um, last season was frustrating that Cavani wasn't in the building because it was a deal there to be done. It wasn't like there was any preconceived idea of when he could join up. So that was more frustrating. This one feels like you've got a kind of a, a good understanding between manager and player. And hopefully that will you know, produce uh, results on the pitch. Um, I mean, obviously, you'd ideally like to have a full-strength squad going into a game against Leeds, but we did see last season that actually some of the perhaps lesser heralded players um, can be really effective against a Bielsa side. You know, obviously, Dan James and Scott McTominay started that 6-2. And as Carl's mentioned, you know, the man-marking system, you've got McTominay running past players um, to, to create these kind of overloads. And he, he mentioned that we did, we did a column with Scott McTominay um, during the Euros and it, I was sort of asking him what it's like to be a player in midfield. And he, he actually quite enjoyed the, the man-marking system that, that Leeds employ. And he said it's a really, it's a real rarity. Perhaps Aston Villa, he thought, might do, uh, were kind of close enough to it. But um, so I think certain players might actually then come to the forefront. Cavani clearly would have been a real asset. You know, he's runs in behind, he never stops running. And against a Bielsa team, you know that you're going to have to run um we've actually got a piece coming out i think this well certainly this week before the game anyway um myself and phil hay um i think adam crafton are working on it where we look at the bill bow team that came to old trafford and played united off the park in the europa league in 2012 um and kind of that was his um introduction i suppose to to a lot of people in english football uh, and I spoke to Eric Steele, somebody who Andy Mitten obviously knows as well about that. He was on the bench that night and he was just saying that it was one thing they, they knew absolutely how Bilbao would play. They'd watch the videos that had scouts, but it was another thing seeing them in person and the amount of energy that they had, the kind of coordination of their movement. Um, you know, Ander Herrera got a special mention for his role there and, you know, United then on, went on and, and signed him. Um, he also mentioned about um, Bielsa being down on his haunches and, and, and then, you know, so they were looking at like, what's this guy doing? Uh, and then standing up and how much respect he commanded as soon as he stood up. So without this being a sort of a, a eulogy for Bielsa, clearly he's brought that stuff into Leeds. And, but as Carl's mentioned, I think Solskjaer enjoys that kind of jostling, sort of looks at how can I beat this team? And, and he did it really well in the home game against um, Leeds. I think the away leg... Like the away game, um, they were suffering from fatigue, weren't they? It was, a, it was a long season, you know, for both teams. Um, but it will be interesting. I, I yeah, I hope there's goals, Carl. Like, you know, I think it'd be a great way to start the season off. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picturing for some reason, in my man, I'm picturing Fulham, uh, 2006 7 season when United just went away and blitzed them first game of the season. So, fingers crossed, Andy. Going back to Cavani, what do you make of this situation and the decision that Solskjaer has taken? Because he would have known that Marcus Rashford had his, his shoulder problem and would need attention. Obviously, now he knows that Martial's only managed 45 minutes of pre-season because of the injury problems he's had. Also, of course, you know, relying potentially on Mason Greenwood, who hasn't played that many first-team minutes in that centre-forward position. So, is this the right thing to do? It's not ideal, but as Laurie said, would we have kept Cavani otherwise? Cavani told United he wanted to leave in March. There's no ifs or buts there. And it's to United's credit that they managed to change his mind and for him to stay and finish the season with a flourish. Nobody expects Cavani to be playing all the games this season. I was told 60% of the games. And if he's as productive as he was last season, there won't be any issues there. He had such a stop-start season for the first two-thirds, whether it be COVID, arriving late, various injuries, the suspension, which, which really annoyed him, and I can understand why, and baffled people in, 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 in Uruguay. But settled, I think United played the emotional card, and were quite right to, because from his perspective, he moved from Paris, which is not a bad city, to Manchester, on the onset of winter during a pandemic. And it wasn't fair to Manchester. I mean, Manchester is a decent city. And if he can be playing and the, the strep for them will sing that ABBA song uh, to him, I think he'll, he'll absolutely love that. He's, he's an emotional, responsive player. And he was a, he, even despite not being very good at English, and that's not to say he's not a linguist because he can speak three languages, um, the players absolutely looked up to his professionalism. The club hoped that younger players would, would look up to him and his good habits. With Greenwood, I think Greenwood's ready. I think sometimes you get situations like an injury pileup, which leads to this young kid called Marcus Rashford being thrown in. 
sometimes they they thrive in those circumstances. That that's football. I thought Greenman had a very good season last year. Uh, Ollie's said there's a long way to go. I spoke to him in Granada specifically about Greenwood and he said he's going to make mistakes. I'm happy for him to make mistakes. He's got to figure things out himself, whether to go left, whether to go right. But I think there's a top player there. And as I said earlier, it's not been an ideal preparation at the start of the season, but it hasn't been for any of the big clubs either. All the big clubs um, have not had the players for as long as, as they've wanted. And we could have said, yeah, but yeah, but... It's not great, but it's a lot better than it was last year when the, the team were together for five days rather than the usual 26, 27. And you know, I don't think there's any excuses for United to, to start well. Look at United's opponents in the first five matches. It could be a lot, lot worse, let's put it that way. So I think Ollie knows the team have got to start well, but it's been also difficult for them missing so many players. What sort of an opportunity do you think this is, Carl, for Anthony Martial as well? He's got his new haircut and he needs to rediscover his old form now, doesn't he? I love it when a player bowls it all off. Also, Especially out yeah. of choice. Yeah. Whenever, a, whenever a man goes willingly bold, I'm like, oh, here we go. It's like when Mourinho went like full sort of uh, shaven-headed. You knew that it was like wartime. Like, oh, God, here we go. I, I also found it when uh, during lockdown one, when it turned out Ashley Young was could, could grow hair and he was just had a shaved head. <laughs> By choice for years. That was very clarifying. Anyway, um, Martial's a really strange one because I think he'll probably play 45 minutes. I think because Jaden Sancho might not be able to play 90 minutes, Greenwood will probably end up back on the right-hand side on the weekend, which opens up space for Martial to start. Um, he's a really strange player. So I've just written a piece on, on Martial in, in that his great advantage is the fact that he knows how to finish. And he can finish in a way, I'd say, probably the second most inventive finisher at United right now, just behind Greenwood, and then probably just the head of Cavani, actually, because Cavani, even though fantastic movement, hasn't always been the most clinical striker of all time. He looks like he can score a hat-trick every game. He probably almost scores you one goal every game. Um, but that was the only thing Martial had. So he's very naive in terms of movement. He's off the ball running unless it's Paul Pogba next to him or unless he's playing next to Rashford, can lack a bit. His back-to-goal play, while it's better than Rashford, he tends to have maybe two or three moves, which defenders have sort of figured out. He tends to turn clockwise or he tends to bounce back for a one-two. And if once you see it, it's very hard to unsee it. Um, and these are the little things that really did him a disservice last season. I think it was around about that really bad game against Sheffield United where he played up front. And you could hear Solskjaer go, movement, Anto, movement. And Martial, while he has an incorrect reputation that he's lazy, did try running five or ten yards forward and then sort of shrugged his shoulders and looked back at the coaching staff. I said, well, where am I supposed to run? Which, considering his age, you're going, oh, that's concerning. You should know exactly which areas around the penalty area you should want. This is Martial's big season. It is pretty much his make or break. If he does spend that time that extra time we do get afforded at Carrington where he can watch Cavani and he can talk to Cavani about that sort of movement, how to make the second gesture when someone else is shooting out to move towards goal. And he can ally that with what, when he's confident and when he's in form, a fantastic finishing ability, we can hopefully get the Martial of 1920 and during the project restart bit. If he starts the season cold again, I will be concerned because he very much looks like a confidence player in that way. He sort of, his finishing ability slowly builds up over time, like compound interest. But when it drops, it goes like a cliff. Um, so I would absolutely love him for the score. First five games this season and then hopefully kick on and have a really good run through the Champions League games. But if he doesn't score until the Champions League group stage just starts, I will be mildly concerned. Yeah, Carl, there was some really interesting insight in the Martial article. The two things that blew me away the most, he turns 26 in a couple of months. And he's starting his seventh season at United. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, he's got a bit of the, the Luke Shaw vortex in that he joined the club as a teenager and you forget that even though he's been around for ages, he's still yet to enter his prime years. And I think one thing similar to Luke Shaw is that Martial arrived at a time of just mass organisational chaos. The, the secession plan going from Van Gaal, who is obsessed, Obsessed. I don't know why I've done a bad Dutch accent there. Uh, with positional play 
and and taking maybe too many touches to going from Mourinho, who very much can be the opposite sometimes, especially if you're an attacking player. It's more about tracking back and, and more about you while well, you figure it out on your own when you're up front. Uh, probably played havoc on his early development. And I'd say Solskjaer is probably the first manager he's had at United who, one, likes him, and two, wants him to be courageous on the ball and go forward. Uh, and that's why he had that very good season in 1920. And unfortunately, this season, last season, wasn't the best. But I think if you check out enough press conferences, it's very clear Solskjaer really, really likes Martial. He nearly always refers to him as Anto, um, which means a little bit, you know, if, if your manager's constantly referring to your nickname rather than calling you by your full name. You're like, okay, that's quite nice. Uh, and, and like I've said before, I think Solskjaer appreciates strikers that know how to finish because he's very much like, right, if you can put the ball in the back of the net, great, I'll teach you all the other stuff. Uh, and you know, the expectation and the hope this season is that Solskjaer can teach him all the other stuff so Martial can go back to doing what he does best, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Rashford's return will help, as will Sancho coming out on the right-hand side because I think that front three of Rashford, Sancho and Martial will help Martial if he doesn't know where to run because Sancho will essentially just run in certain areas and Rashford will run in certain areas and he goes, well, all right, I'll just stay in the middle. Um, so I think he's going to grow into this season calmly. I'm quietly confident he'll get 10 goals in the league. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Football, by the hell. So apparently there has been some things happening in the world of football this week outside of Manchester United. I don't know if anyone noticed at all, actually, but there's a player called Lino Messi who moved from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain and it seemed to dominate absolutely everything, including, of course, his, his waterworks as well, which uh, were, were absolutely everywhere and impossible to not be drowned in Messi's tears this week. But Andy, obviously living in Barcelona for the time that you have, being around that club and being around this player. What was your impression of this week, really? Well, I was in Manchester because I've, I've always divided my time between... Different waterworks then. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think it's been coming. He's 34 years old. Um, I've watched him, probably watched him play live 300 times. Probably the best player that, that I've ever seen. As a journalist, I've interviewed him. He's definitely not the most interesting person I've ever spoken to, but he didn't need to be. And... First interviewed him when he was, was 17. Uh, a lad I was learning Spanish with was a reserve player for Barca B, and he was the captain. And he told me about this young kid who was coming through. And then like two weeks later, he said, oh, he came training this morning with me. And um, I absolutely smashed him. And he just bounced up. He said, just watch him. I'm telling you to watch him. So obviously it did, and the, the buzz started uh, quickly. So he's, he's watching him play football has been incredible. And I had a few laughs with him. I nearly got him to apologise for Wembley and Rome. It <laughs> um, was more interesting when the interviews would finish. I remember him once asking me about Manchester City and their money, which was like, well, he was asking me about Tevez going there. And I'm like, well, why don't you ask him yourself? He's your international teammate. So I think the family have always liked money. And they might argue that he's absolutely uh, worth it. Um when I was in Manchester at the, at the weekend, United fans were saying to me, can't we get messy? Is there anything we can do? And like, maybe that's a bit, bit wishful thinking. Uh, Barca fans are, and you know, I've been speaking to people who've been going there for a long, long time, and people have got a downer on Barca at the moment, that they're up themselves, that they're this, that they're that. Underneath, if you strip it all away, there's a massive football club there. You had the highest average attendances, in world football, when they were winning nothing, they won one league title between 74 and 1991. That's why they had to build the world's biggest stadium to cope with the demand. So the demographic of their fans has changed completely. But I think in the long term, Barca will be OK, but they're not in the short term. They're, they're in a mess financially. And Messi's moved on to Paris. I was like, Paris, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a romantic. I would have loved him to go back to Newell's old boys and, and do what? Maradona did with, with Napoli. Paris almost seems the easy option, but it's his choice. It's his life. He wants to win another Champions League and he's probably got a better chance of doing that with PSG until they come up against uh, Manchester United at home. So, yeah, I think he's the best player that, I, that I've ever seen. Um, better than better than Cristiano Ronaldo, but those two would, would, would be the best two. 
And I'll watch Barca this season. I won't watch them as much as I'll watch Manchester United in, in person. But it'd be very interesting to see how, how they change. They've got exceptional young players. I'll name Pedri now. And you know, still a huge club, but I, I think there's going to be a few bumps along the way first because of, uh, of, of their financial issues. Barca and Madrid still remain hugely attractive to players. More than any club in the world. I, still, I would say that even now. For various reasons, the, the cities, the, some of the best players in the world are, are Spanish speakers. Um, the, the cities themselves are good to live in and they are huge football clubs. So I, I think that Barcelona and Madrid will still be attractive, but you can clearly see that the Premier League financially is pulling away from the rest, including La Liga. And I spent pre-season with Real Betis in, in Staffordshire and spoke to lots of people there, did a big piece on it for the Athletic, and including Manuel Pellegrini. And he was just saying the Premier League is the best because of A, B, C, D, E, you know. And Betis for a huge club, average crowds of 49,000. So sometimes the grass is always greener to them. We, we can see the negatives with the Premier League. But Messi, for the first time, has chosen to, to leave Spain and as a competitive player and not to go to England. But to go, but to go to France, they look like they've got a brilliant team. But as I, as I pointed out to someone yesterday, so did Real Madrid when Beckham went there. When they had Raúl, when they had Figo, when they had Ronaldo, Casillas, Guti, Zidane, and they finished fourth in a two-horse race and were knocked out of Europe by a young Monaco team with Patrice Evra in it. So it doesn't always go to plan, but clearly. PSG will be formidable because I still think that Messi is the best player in the world. And Andy, what about all the circus around it? Because you had a, quite an interesting idea for Manchester United's next player unveiling, actually. Have you spoke to the commercial department yet? No, I'm, and maybe this is me not being a target demographic here. I just really? think that some, some of the, um, the, the, the football, the way that football transfers are announced now, it's become a big show and the clubs get lots of engagement because of that and can probably back that up with sponsorship and we'll say it's a financial way of doing it. And we also PSG, I think their Instagram account doubled overnight. So their marketing and sponsorship types will be seeing this vindication for signing Messi. But I'll be honest, I completely cringed when Manchester City put the Peaky Blinders out with some sort of loose association with Jack Grealish this week. I just did. I mean, <laughs> they were from Small Leaf. It's Birmingham City. And it, it's about the detail. Um, Alexis Sanchez singing Glory, Glory. Now that one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, we were all like, well, hey, we've got Sanchez. It's only a year on. We're going, yeah, that was a cringeworthy. No one was really saying it at, at the time, were they? <laughs> now, I, I spoke to... So back in January, I talked to some very clever social media people about how they make transfer announcement videos. And two of them told me that the Alexis Sanchez video basically was the crest of the wave, saying, great video, but because Sanchez didn't play the way he went for United, every football club sort of went, hang on, let's not do the elaborate announcement video anymore because it becomes too much of a meme for everyone else to laugh at. So that's why the days of Paul Pogba dabbing or uh, Charisma coming out on a horse, or uh, Ed and Jekko doing, or and uh, Kolarov doing their very like strong Eastern European. I'm not doing this nonsense for Roma. That's why we've stopped seeing those, is because a lot of clubs are going. Actually, do we not? Let's just not have the everyone mock us for having a football player at a piano. Anymore. We can just go to Andy's idea then, can't we? Which was. <laughs> signing a contract with a big biro on a trestle table and circulate one black and white photo as proof that it happened. Laurie, do you think that'll catch on? Absolutely. There probably is a space actually for a bit of retro, you know, a bit we'll, of a, we'll a nod. It, aren't we almost? Yeah. A bit of a wink to the fans. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's go retro. Let's go minimalist. Um, yeah, I mean, Andy's idea was for Varane, right? Uh, that, that was your... That... Who, who, sorry? Well, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened to him? I don't know. I was hoping you might be able to shed some light. Um, well, listen, it, we, we, we wrote the news yesterday that he'd completed his medical. There's still uh, some small uh, details on the contract to sort, we're told. Um, it, it is slightly strange. It's been sort of 16 days, I think, now since, yeah. maybe even 17. 17 since, now. 17 yeah. now since it was, um, you can sort of see a, the, the ticker, you know, the, the old city banner at the Stratford end that used to sort of tot up. We can, we can maybe replace that with, with number of days since Varane was uh, announced. Uh, as confirmation as, as agreed terms. So yeah, it's an interesting one that it hasn't sort of gone over the line. I mean, people say that it's a major deal and these kind of things are always going to take a little bit of time, but then, uh, you know, Messi 
signing so quickly sort of kind of um, go, cuts against that. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It, it, as, as Obviously, as we get closer, even at the start of the week, I was being told that the Leeds game would be, um, you know, too soon for him, you know, not having trained, being quarantined. Um, so bench at most, you know, if, if Solskjaer decided, let's just get him on the bench and kind of get him in, in the mix of things. The closer it gets to that game, you're thinking, is he going to be in the squad? Um, so it is something to kind of just have a, a little bit of a look at. But um, I mean, surely, surely he's coming. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of time. Well, I referred to this at the top. I've never known a saga start after the deal's been <laughs> announced and agreed. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, listen, maybe there's some, I don't know, commercial image rights stuff that they're kind of just, you know, ticking off. Um, clearly, when it's Manchester United, there's obviously going to be opportunities uh, to, to earn more money. I mean, listen, he's coming from Real Madrid, so you'd think that all that kind of stuff would be, would have been, um, you know, just par for the course. But um, listen, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but just that there's a, a few little bits to sort out. And hopefully, once uh, they are, it'll be a very quick announcement, um, you know, and they'll get the A4 printouts handed out to everybody. Just need to sort out the home Wi-Fi and he's in the to say that. <laughs> I would be interested to see what time United announce it. I've got a sneaking suspicion they're going to do something that would be uh, friendly to the New York Stock Exchange. So maybe less of an early morning UK announcement than more something at three o'clock in the afternoon. Is it something that's going to make this podcast sound really old then, Carl? Or are you quite <laughs> confident it'll be all right before the weekend? I think if you're Manchester United and you are unveiling a multi-time Champions League winner and a World Cup winner who has also been dubbed Champions League Varane by your other World Cup winner in Paul Pogba, you're probably going to want to have some sort of outlandish social media video so you can talk about engagement to the stakeholders later on. So I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to announce it on a Wednesday. Thursday afternoon's not bad. I'll probably do something tomorrow in that little gap just before everyone starts watching the game against Arsenal and Brentford and whatnot. Friday afternoon, four o'clock-ish. Hello, you've all stopped working. You're all scrolling your phones really bored. Here's a video of our end. Perhaps he's just learning to play the piano. Perhaps that's what's taking the time. You never know. You never know. So we're going to get to some of your listener questions in a moment. We've been absolutely inundated with those. So thank you very much. But before we do that, we need to say happy birthday and not just any birthday, happy 50th birthday to Roy Keane. Andy, you've been writing about this this week. And to be fair, you probably had a brilliant story to go with every single year of his life. He's an amazing guy. And, and the stories that came out of just that little article that you wrote, there's so many to go at, isn't there? Yeah. Could have done ones with myself and Roy Keane over the years, some absolute mental stories. But um, with Danny Taylor, um, we spoke to various people um, from stages in Roy's career and they just told those great stories about Roy. And I try to go a little bit unconventional. Uh, Mark Bosnich, for example, who I know had had some issues with Roy, he was happy to speak and to put the, put the record straight. I know that Jesper Blomquist had had some funny moments with, with Roy Keane as well. And there's, there's, there's some really good stories throughout his career. I think, I think everyone has got um, a story uh, about Roy. I mean, David May was one who, who I spoke to and, and he just said when he'd be going absolutely mental, his way of dealing with that was just to laugh at him. And he said, I love Roy a bit. So I've never said a bad word about him. Everything he did was to make Manchester United better. And clearly when you're a top, top player, people are going to listen. Would that be allowed now? Would that be encouraged now? I don't know the answer to that, but United were brilliant with Roy Keane. Roy Keane's the best midfielder I've ever seen play for Manchester United. One thing Bosnich said was quite interesting. He's a far more skillful player than anyone gave him credit for. People had this image of him force a box to box and the stories grow out of Keane. Everyone talks about Chirin and I've contributed to that. And to the point that when I spoke to him, I said, Chirin, Chirin, how did you do? And he went, I suppose I did all right. And that was it. And he's, he's fascinating. He was a fascinating player. Um, I'll tell you one story, which I didn't put in the piece because I was interviewing him quite a lot in the 90s. And I was going out in Manchester all the time and 
I was in a bar one night with my mates and he walked in and he comes straight up to me. And so he's a captain of Man United. He says, how are you doing? Fine. I'm not starstruck at all. Spoke to speak to players all the time. Bit of small talk. And then he says, you're not following me, are you? And I'm like, how can I follow you? You've just walked into the bar that I'm in. So basically what he's done, he's just banged you in the ribs. And just as you're coming back to respond, he smiles and he just walks away and he's done you. And what can you say to that? And like, you knob, what you're on about your knob. I'm in the bar already, but he's smart. He was smart enough just to go bang. And then um, a couple of years ago, Manchester Airport, saw him, had a chat with him, was on the same flight as him. Brilliant company. What was interesting was if people came up to me in Manchester Airport and said, can I have a picture? No problem. If they said, um, can I have an autograph? No problem. But it's more selfies now, as you know. If people tried to take a picture without his permission, they were basically offered out. So you had the prospect to these people, you know, going away for a nice weekend, being offered out by Roy Keane inside Manchester Airport. And I can see his point, you know, come up to him and respect him and he's fine. But if you're sneakingly taking pictures of him, I think that's below the belt. And obviously Roy did as well. Had a few over the years where he's taken issues with things that, that I've written. The best interview we ever had with for United We Stand was Roy Keane pre-season, Philadelphia 2004. And Diana Law, United press officer, said you've got half an hour. And Roy just kept telling her, go away, we're carrying on, we're carrying on. And 90 minutes later, and he's going on and on, and he's arguing with me. And I'm saying, have you read this book? And he's saying, never mind that, he's an absolute bang. I said, yeah, but I didn't say that. I said, have you read his book? He's an absolute bang. And then his brothers come along, and it was like introducing me to his brothers. And his brothers said, yeah, I've seen you anyway. I know who you are. We had a chat last week, and this chaotic scene. And the interview was the best one we've ever done. And I took a picture of him. It came out wrong because I'm not a photographer. And he turns up another picture. He just laughed at me. And three weeks later, he rings me up. Right, I've helped you, you little boop. You can help me now. And he was looking at buying um, somewhere in Barcelona. I said, yeah, great city. This is the area, you know, that people like, you know. Um, and I, I rang him back a few weeks later, gave him loads of info, dead. But I also said to him, if you need any mortgage advice, um, I, I know a really good lad, so I can pass him on to you. And as I thought, as I was saying that, I thought, why am I telling someone who earns 90 grand a week um, recommending a mortgage advisor? There was just this silence. <laughs> and he just went, I think I'll be all right. And it, yeah, it was just a fantastic put down. And I, 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 love, I love the fella. I mean, you don't always know what you're going to get. I saw him in the Euros. I was working on a platform. In between the BBC and ITV, right? So I had these United players on both sides. And then, and I know him and I was speaking to him and I know some better than others. And he was really friendly with me. And he said, you've been traveling around. What's it been like? And he said, it sounds more interesting than, than just being here. And I don't know. He's made life far, far more interesting. And I don't think United would have won the trophies that they did win without Roy Keane. And, and if him and Fergie go head to head, so be it. That's a price worth paying. You've got these two. Andy Cole always said it, it's two bulls um, in, in the same pen with them two. And if that created this chain reaction that led to brilliance, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. He's an absolutely fascinating person. And there's loads of stories about him turning up, not for public consumption. And I know a kid who was dying of cancer. Roy just sat with him for two hours in his hotel, in his, um, in his hospital. And other stories turning up at to help charities out in altering them and just, just basically saying, I'm here as long as you want me, as long as it doesn't become a pain in the ass. You know, I'll give you some brilliant stuff, but don't be posting stuff out here, there and everywhere. And if you get his trust like that, it's fascinating. Great midfielder and, and, and often a great human as well. I'm not really sure how we follow that. So I think we just go straight on to the questions. To be fair, Andy, that was brilliant. Mortgage advice to Roy Keane in Barcelona. I don't think anyone's going to top that story. But anyway, let's get to the questions then. So first up, Joshua and Chimiri both asked actually about Phil Jones, Laurie. So I wonder if you could shed a bit of light on this. Just ask him really about the future for him. What, what's the plan with Phil Jones as far as you understand it? 
Yeah, we um, had a question for our mailbag actually last week as well, um, where, you know, uh, readers um, give us their questions and Phil Jones came up. He's kind of like a, a figure of interest for a lot of people just because, you know, he, he was this, you know, guy that was, you know, um, regarded by some as a, as a potential Duncan Edwards, you know, when he was first um, signed by United and, um, and and it hasn't, you know, worked out that way, particularly recently. He's not played for a long time. It's been over a year. Um, but he returned to first team training uh, with the team last week. So he was up in St. Andrews with them. Um, so that's, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for him. Solskjaer spoke previously to that about giving him time, giving him space. Again, it's that sort of human touch, that understanding of what it's like to be a footballer, particularly somebody with knee issues as Solskjaer suffered during his playing career and um, allowing him space just to get himself right. So he's, he's fit. Well, he's, he's, he's fully, you know, physically good. Um, now it's about getting, you know, match fitness. And that obviously will take a little bit of time because if you push him too soon, then other parts of his body might, you know, react badly to that. So it's his knee that's, that's been the issue. But, you know, you've got to look after your hamstring, calves, whatever else. Um, so we'll, we'll see. You know, I can envision he gets up to speed and plays a, you know, under-23s game or, or something like that behind closed doors. There's obviously the transfer window. Personally, I'd be surprised if any club goes for him just on the basis of word of mouth and you know what he's done in the past it, it would unless there's some kind of deal that can be struck where a club isn't taking on too much liability you know wages wise um they might go for him you know based on the fact that he has been you know he's, he's been a premier league title winner um early on in his career um and in england international up until you know he was recently i think it's 2018 um so there is that on the, on, on the positives for him but yeah he needs to get to a stage where he feels ready to play you know without kind of fear of breaking down um because he has committed i mean that probably has been his fault he's so committed on the pitch that you know he has become a figure of fun for some online you know perhaps where the faces that he pulls in, in doing certain actions is kind of amusing but equally he's always been massively committed you know putting his body you know, on the line, you know, if it's not, if that's not too much of a cliche. Um, so we'll see um, how it goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that he can kind of, you know, just return to good health and, um, and maybe, you know, he wouldn't be out of the question at some point in the season, just being an option there for, for United. And then, but, but probably in January, you probably look at him going and seeing what else is out there for him. Okay. Donny van der Beek's another one that's had a lot of questions. Um, Daniel and Aaron, asking about his situation. And Carl, I know you've spoken quite a bit about it, including on last week's Talk of the Devils as well. But what do you expect from van der Beek this season? How do you see it working for him? Do you expect him to come good? Because it was a really difficult first season, wasn't it? It really was. He looked quite confused in a United team that basically had no time on the training field and had to do everything at pace. Um, I think what's been really edifying about Donny over the summer is after he, you know, the he had a groin injury that he missed out in Euro 2020. Is he's definitely been in the gym? Uh, I was talking to a United fan, Ryan Matthews, who called him Donny van der Beefcake, uh, and you saw in the after the preseason friendly against Brentford where he was given the captaincy. Harry Maguire commented on his Instagram about how he was stretching out the captain's armband. So he's put on some muscle. He definitely looks like he's wanting to make up for lost time and, and adapt it to English football and the physicality of English football. I still think Van der Beek's best position is not in the, the pivot of Solskjaer's 4-2-3-1, but as the number 10 behind a striker like Cavani, uh, possibly even Martial. And I think Jaden Sancho's really got to help him because Donny's favourite move is to sort of stand in the 10, run off to the right-hand side and then do a lot of uh, one-twos and overlaps. That will probably also help Wan-Bissaka as well because if Wan-Bissaka is doing those slightly naive overlapping runs. If you want to have a, someone to you know take attention away from Jaden Sancho, someone like Donny is really going to help. Um, I really wanted to be a, a bit more confident in the ball as well. There were two or three times where even though he came through the Ajax system, he was doing things you wouldn't expect an Ajax player to do. So I think decent run of games. I think even the muscle he's put on, he could probably do a job in that pivot in certain very particular games. I'm not saying he's going to be Paul Pogba's partner in a pivot. I'm not saying him and Scott McTominay are going to re replace the McFred partnership and whatnot, but I think there are maybe one or two games at Old Trafford where you could do 30 minutes and whatnot in that pivot as well. I also thought it was quite interesting some points last season that there were games where Solskjaer was willing to put him as the 10 and move Bruno Fernandes to the right-hand side. So there is something there. 
I think Adam Crafton wrote a fantastic piece and they're saying he, he had fire behind his eyes in the dressing room and was quietly chomping at the bit, which all sounds very positive. And I think it's sky's the limit for the young man. Yeah, Laurie, you asked for these questions, didn't you? Uh, on the real time section of the app and how many of them mentioned a certain midfielder from France who seems to get mentioned a lot now when linked with Manchester United and any sort of transfer talk. But actually, there was some reference in a different midfielder, Andy Misson, as well. Harshad and Ian both asked, is there any truth in Ander Herrera back to Manchester United? What do you understand? No, there's not. Leave it there. Yeah, if you want. I mean, I just see stuff like that and think... I mean, with Ander, there is often two versions of the truth. And that's happened several times, right? So I remember Ander when he was at Zaragoza. And then I went to see him in Bilbao. And then I wrote that he was about to join Man United and it was going ahead. And my source was a very, very good one. It was uh, Ander Herrera and his agent. (laughs) And uh, when that didn't go through, I got absolutely slaughtered because, well... Who knows what happened? It was when, remember when the three lawyers turned up in, in Madrid. Mm-hmm. So then I went to see him again in Bilbao and I got a message from someone at Man United saying, say hello. And that was when United had played in the Basque country against Real Sociedad. And then he joined the club and, and he's an interesting lad. He's banging to sort of football, fan culture. Uh, when he left... Two completely different versions of, of, of why he left. And I, I don't know where the truth lies to this day. And one of them, and I don't even know if Ander knows after things that went on. And I am I'm actually sympathetic to Manchester United's version, which is he asked for too much money or his, or his agents did. And he didn't play like half the games Paul Pogba played that season. So off he went to Paris and I bumped into him after the, Champions League final last year, pitch side. Nice, simple question, because he's the talent. How are you feeling? And he decided to swear on live TV, which (laughs) wasn't (laughs) sure how it'd go down, but it went mental. And then I said, you know, what's it like playing without fans? And he just just absolutely shit (laughs) on TV. (laughs) But he was brilliant. He gave great interviews. And I do not think he's coming back to Manchester United. However... I was told last year by an exceptionally good source that he's not going to PSG. So as a journalist, sometimes you've got to be, you've got a copper barrel stuff and things, situations do change. They absolutely do change. So, but no, if you're asking me now, is he coming back to Man United? I would say no. Okay. I'm glad that you didn't just leave it at no. <laughs> As the original response. Um, Laurie, any chance of anyone else coming to Manchester United? We should really ask that before we wrap up the pod. Yeah, I mean, I, I do uh, hear where Andy's coming from with, with sort of names linked. You know, people at the club sort of think it's like whack-a-mole sometimes, sort of, you know, these names pop up for whatever different reasons. And, you know, the, the truth is is sometimes far from that. Um, Talisa was another one from Bayern Munich that was sort of linked this week and um, there's no interest there. So I think everyone can... Rest easy on that one. Um, the, the impression I get is that United have you know, done their business. They like to go one transfer at a time and obviously they're still doing the Varane thing. So let's see, you know, in, in, we've still got a few weeks left of the transfer window, but there's not the kind of noises coming out of United that I would expect if a transfer is incoming, particularly, you know, it's sort of dependent on player sales. Um, you know, this week we did a piece on um, Diogo Dallo being expected to be the you know the the rival right back for Aaron Wan-Bissaka this season when previously um, at the start of the summer certainly you know United were confident of getting Kieran Trippier um, over the line that one I think fell down on the fact that they thought he would be available for a much lower fee than what Atletico Madrid uh, are prepared to sell him for um, so something like 10 million um, compared to like 28 million which is a pretty significant gap um, I mean, he's 30, Diogo Delo's 22. So United are looking at him thinking, well, if we can still have Diogo Delo in the building and he's had quite a decent pre-season, he played for the Euros, he played at the Euros for Portugal. Let's let's try and see if we can make that one work. Um, you know, personally, I would I would say that Kieran Tupi is a guarantee, isn't he? You know, he's a, he's a, a quality player with lots of experience, you know, La Liga winner. So I would hope that they could still 
have a look at that. But the word this week was that, yeah, yeah parked it, paused it, and unless Atletico Madrid come down significantly, um, I think that might be that. And you know, we got on the real-time app, as you say, Ian, we got a load of, um, on, uh, on the real-time section of the app, sorry, which is where we did our questions this week. And we got a load of responses about defensive midfielders, um, and, you know, we, I think we sort of touched on it last week, didn't we, where we, we said that there's obviously names out there that United are fully aware of their situations and how much they would cost. Um, but as things stand, I don't see any of them progressing. OK, we'll answer more of your questions, I'm sure, next week. So look out for another opportunity on the real-time section of the app to do just that. But for now, I think that's a wrap, lads. I have absolutely no idea how we managed to fit all of that into one podcast. Uh, <laughs> we did do quite... To and fro in there, didn't we? Mortgage advice for Roy Keane, Laurie dancing to the Spice Girls. Um, I think they were probably my two personal favourites. But Carl, Andy and Laurie, until next week, thank you very much. Hopefully, we'll be reflecting on a winning start to the new season for Manchester United against Leeds because actually we previewed that game about 100 years ago, didn't we? Right at the start of this podcast. But <laughs> we can look forward to that then for next week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic with a special 33% discount off the full price of a subscription if you get in before the start of the Premier League season. So not long to go now. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to take advantage of this special 33% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye for now. Athletic.